maggot-eaten skull, three holes, nose and eyes, reminds me of when we went bowling together. You and I in the club, danceful time. We'd wear those shoes that did not fit quite right. But still, I found that your head did not fit quite right upon your shoulders. And I'm sorry for what happened at that point. But now it's been years and I've looked at you upon my pickling shelf as my prickling beard and my graying and fraying. My mind has been leaving me, Rupert. But Rupert. At least I can agree that you and I both have one thing in common. Had a good head on our shoulders. And as I walk past my troubadour and walk past this large closet and I think about this, I hold your skull. have a glass of port. I think, what should I do to the town this night? And I call upon the police and I call upon the fire. I hide in the bush with my piano wire. And Rupert, you clatter so famously as you get their attention. And I introduce a different kind of apprehension. And with the trash cans on fire, burning leaves, it's the fall. I must say, Rupert, we found them to be a blood. James, what are you doing? Oh, uh, hi. Hey, you keep sneaking the bushes around again. Again, you took yes. the pianos out of my. Out of, you took the wires out of my piano. I was going to play that later. Who took the pianos out of my wire? <laughs> you got peanut butter on my piano. <laughs> I put all my tunas out of my fish. Oh well, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Ah, there's the joke. But uh, you're listening to Common Rider Three. Everyone's kid, and with me is Affable Joey. Hey, Joey, what's up? Good. Uh, I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's a like spooky type of year, which is why the spirit takes me. I think. Yes. No. I was. I was very actually intrigued. I was wondering what's going to happen next. I uh, almost didn't <laughs> you want to interrupt you. <laughs> uh, that just happens sometimes. Yeah, you know, you're off by yourself. <laughs> uh, I yeah, but um, you are here today as a like guest. Um. To talk about uh, Return of the Living Dead, the 1985 classic movie, horror movie, Strong Effects. Yes, I'm super excited to talk about it. This is the first time I've seen it, so this is a, I'm a, a virgin, and this is a very much, uh, a very interesting movie, and I absolutely enjoyed every minute of it. And you have your own show as well. That's right. Um, I am on a show called Affable Chat. It's a movie podcast we release weekly. Uh, we talk about all sorts of movies basically anything we want to we're not uh pigeonholed into any sort of genre which means that we kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about um we like to dive deep into how the movies are made and uh what the meanings and themes behind the movies are and try to get as much out of it as we can 
Um, and we have all sorts of, we just released an episode about leaving Las Vegas. We just completed a five-part series on the Die Hard series. And um, we're starting a Florence Pugh uh, series uh, next week. Uh, we'll be watching four of her uh, most prominent movies and getting a sense for this young and prominent new actress on the scene. Yeah, you're like a regular, like Prepper and LePew over there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so doing a weekly show is like tough. Uh, oh, wait, actually, do you edit your show or, or no? Uh, my co-host edits the show. Doing usually. a weekly show is easy. Huh. <laughs> well, uh, you're just telling me that you you just edited two episodes today and then you're recording one now. So, yeah, you're working way harder than I am. Uh, that that happens <laughs> sometimes you just it like ebbs and flows sometimes yeah 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 i mean no it's 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 definitely a lot of fun and you know taking time out of your schedule to uh watch a movie and then you know write something do some research on it it takes a few hours but it's always worth it so yeah um does your show too many guests or no we have guests um occasionally we kind of have a rotating crew and then we have other people from other podcasts as well it's always nice having people from other podcasts because they typically know how to like there's a baseline right of like audio quality that you can kind of rely on um so and yeah it's i mean that's what i've been doing for the last year has been you know cross promoting and going on other people's shows and everything and that's uh it's been really rewarding i met a lot of interesting people no and yeah because i feel like a lot of people who are like doing this kind of thing you're like they're picking something that they care about. And there's like this weird kind yeah. of like pot luck podcast, like earnest's nature to it. <laughs> Definitely. You know? Definitely. No, it's, it's nice meeting people with a similar interest. And it's so like, you know, once I left school, once I graduated, you know, it's so hard to meet people. You're not casually meeting people of your same age, but um, in this realm, you're meeting a lot of people with similar interests and it's, I almost forgot what that was like. Uh, Cause you end up, uh, you know, connecting on something that you're both passionate on that you're not uh, typically sharing with our people. So it's uh, it's nice being kind of understood uh, by strangers. Yeah, and like just like getting together people is like hard sometimes. Like I'm trying to to plan like an RPG group, but it's always like, oh wow, but like, oh, there's also something about like, oh, we're recording an episode. There's some like switch in your brain from capitalism where you can be like oh this is work i could do this i could plan this out yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, it becomes work yeah but no it's nice i mean that's the nice thing too about having a co-host as well is that we're accountable to each other we're always expecting Mm -hmm. the other one to show up and everything so you know if it was just me i would quit you know every other week i'd be like i don't know if i could do this right now but having someone to who's relying on you and everything you know, pushes you to succeed. And we've been really, I feel like we've been successful. We've been able to record more than 150 episodes the last like three and a half years. And it's been, uh, it's been a really rewarding experience. Yeah. We just crossed a hundred, um, not kind of like 20 odd, like bonus episodes, but like, okay. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. how we are too. We have like bonus episodes that don't count. Well, congratulations. A hundred episodes is a big milestone. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a point where this show switched from bi-weekly to weekly, and I don't know why that happened, but it's <laughs> cool for the number to get bigger, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Suddenly, more work. Perfect. Yeah, and like honestly, um, I try to like tell people sometimes like when they ask me, like, hey, 
how do I start doing stuff? I was like, well, okay, we'll pick something. <laughs> like, yeah. make it specific, make it yours, but also, like, do it for you. <laughs> Don't do it to, for, like, any kind of anything else. Do it because, like, there's something about, like, having something that you commit to, like, even if it has no impact on the world or, like, does no right. good, you know? Yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, you, you only have ever heard of famous podcasts, you know, but there's lots of people out there that are doing this just kind of for the, for the love of the game. And I think there's been a lot of, I've gotten a lot of benefit out of it, just yeah, improving really my enriching. public speaking and, you know, connecting with people and just like research in general. You know, I feel like I'm a lot, I can like find things that I want to find easier. I'm like, I'm a little bit more curious and diligent in my, you know, in uh like what i'm interested in and um i think that's paid off a big in a big way it's made me better at trivia at the very least but it's also you know maybe more of an interesting and well-rounded person and i think like um there's definitely something to looking at media outside of like the like flow of it that we currently have where like you start to understand certain things start to like appreciate certain things like oh wow oh yeah this is there's so much more here in something that like like you might not realize too, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I've felt that way for a while ever since I started watching like, you know, uh, film reviews on YouTube, but like, this has really grown that, you know, it's made me really, you know, kind of pick up on things I would never pick up on before, pay attention to things I never did before. And I feel like I'm getting way more out of film and television and even like novels than my peers are. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm, grasping concepts that are just beneath the surface that are um really can really blow your mind that other people are you know kind of passing over or not uh, picking up on and that's really because i'm practicing that media literacy you know Mm -hmm. trying to understand and challenge the stuff i'm consuming not just raw consuming and also i think like the longer you do it for like a show i think the better you get at like um helping people do that with you like and like uh there was a point where this show had like a bunch of guests like maybe like 20 20 guests in like in like 30 episodes and like that was really cool uh, yeah but it was a lot of work but i was like oh i know how to talk about this now and like that was part of the aim because like for the most part we cover much more niche stuff than this because we're looking at like a lot of like japanese tv and like cinema and like much weirder and like more like more stigmatized stuff as well Mm -hmm. but it's um it's very fun to like reach a point where you're like oh like i know how to bring people in better just from talking to them like enough times about something where i can like be like hey like like this movie this like this and that oh yeah it's so satisfying it's so satisfying when you when like you've both watched something and then you point out something that you've noticed and the other person's like oh my gosh, it all clicks, you know, it all falls into place here um, from, like, from you pointing that out. That's something that I'll never get tired of, um, just being able to, not, like, enlighten, but just sort of, uh, yeah, you know, embellish or, like, you know, m- make prominent certain elements of, uh, you know, media and just uh, television in general. I think it's such a um, powerful medium, um, something that I think is 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 very much appreciated in our current culture um but and yet and yet there's still so much depth to it that's still to be developed and realized and seeing how it's 
changed and grown over the years has been really fascinating. And that's something that I really enjoyed about the movie we did for this episode, Return of the Living yeah. Dead, was just kind of getting a glimpse into film history um, and con- all, like cultural history as well with like the introduction of um, a new type of zombie. And too, like, I think like a lot of the way that we consume media now is very like very much based around like logic as in like a magic system or like lore and like setting up worlds and stuff and it's like very much like here is a wiki or here is like a plot twist (laughs) here is an article with a point to it versus like that's not how like all media should be and i think like getting that ability to read media better and like spending time talking about it helps you like break that kind of like process a bit but um (laughs) My question for you, though, is uh, what's like your favorite random stat about your podcast like that you like to like pull out? Like for me, it's like, oh, we were the number one podcast in Denmark. (laughs) I don't I don't look at our I don't have like access to all of our stats, so I don't have like a really good one for you. Um, We do have listeners in. I think at least 13 different countries, but that was like, that was a long time ago. Um, there, we did have one episode where we had, um, I think it was 11 guests at the same time. Um, what? Yeah, we did it for um, uh, uh, Marvel um, Infinity War, the first, um, the, the second to last Avengers movie, because we were okay. like, it's the most ambitious crossover ever. So we brought in everyone we could think of, um, everyone who had been a guest in the podcast and people who had it. Um, and we had all of them on at the same time. It was, it was insane, but it actually worked out. Like we had like a chart and everything trying to make sure we had it, everyone had their takes and everything. Um, and it didn't run super long either. So, uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, but it was super ambitious. We're just like, okay, here we go. Let's <laughs> see if we can pull this off. Just have it be insane. <laughs> uh, not to be that guy, but, um, as like a fan of like Toku, which is like, um, there's stuff like, oh, like, the series that Power Rangers takes to th- yeah 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 like footage from and stuff like that. Um, there's part of it like with Civil War with like a lot of the like eventually was like <laughs> amateurs because like <laughs> in Togu they'll just get like three hundred dudes in a quarry and like that's their crossover. They're like we got three hundred <laughs> costumes, we got three hundred dudes, we got this yeah, quarry, yeah. we got some dynamite. Let's go. No, absolutely. I mean, that's what we, I mean, it was the most visible thing at the time. But like oh, yeah, what's yeah, funny no. is that um I think like I was a I was a, at the time I was also a huge fan of the CW um shows, like The Flash and Arrow and stuff. I was watching all of those and they had a huge crossover the same like a week before the um Avengers came out and they like had a big picture with everybody on it and it's like actually there were more like this was an even more ambitious crossover. It had more different franchises <laughs> in one situation um, and like in one group of shows than uh, the Avengers did. So even in its own, like even compared to its com- like contemporaries, it wasn't the most ambitious crossover, uh, but it was, you know, the, the, probably the more accurate way to say it is the most visible <laughs> crossover in yes. cinema history, I guess you could say. I mean, we made a lot of money, so people, a lot of people saw it and were impressed. <laughs> you yeah, have like eleven people on. That's a bit. That's a. That's a. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was an ambitious goal, and I think it turned out good. So, but that was a long time ago. That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, but still. Uh, but um, 
to make things a little more grounded, um, it is like Halloween Town, though. Halloween Time, not Halloween Town. Halloween Different Town. Thing. Halloween Town. <laughs> I watched yeah. the wrong movie. Yeah, Trappa, Apar, all that stuff of that nature. Where's Calabar? He wants revenge. Uh, but no. Uh, so what we've been asking people is, uh, what is their favorite monster from horror or from fiction? From fiction in general, I thought this was just like Halloween movies. Now I got to rethink my answer. Oh, I got my answer. Have you ever read um, Perdido Street Station? I have no. I have it. By oh my god, it's a freaking crazy book. Um, uh, let's see if I can find it. Hold on one second. Street Station. There's uh, China Melville is the person who wrote mm-hmm. it. It is absolutely wild. To to give you kind of an idea of like just how crazy this this book gets. Uh, you're kind of going through, and it's kind of this weird story. There's like a bunch of people in this really big city, and they're all like different. There's like humans, and there's like bird people, and then there's like like insect people, and you know, basically every kind of like you know classic mm-hmm. combination of you know person and animal and other things too, right? And you're like, okay, I kind of get an idea. You know, it's kind of a weird world, right? A lot of different things going on. At some point, they just straight up talk, like go to a building. And summon a demon from hell and start talking to it too. And I'm like, where did this come from? And then it just goes even further. There's like a six dimensional spider. There's all these like crazy um, like uh, robots and stuff that are that are in there that are controlling people's minds. But there's this monster in the story, and the monster is so deadly because it will take out anything with a mind. It is this. It's this moth. Um, thing. Let me see if I can find the name of it. Um, the, the slake slake moth? slake moth. Yes, there are these giant insect-looking things that have these wings that, when they extend, they they have these psychedelic patterns in them. And if you stare at them for um, like more than a second, your mind melts inside your brain, like inside your skull, and you can no, you like become comatose. And then the slake. Uh, mouth will eat your consciousness and will take away any of your like agency. Um, there's one woman who sort of survives this encounter, but she's like basically a vegetable. Um, everyone else is like like their their bodies just basically collapse on themselves because they can't even like nothing in their in their body functions anymore. The only way to safely observe them is through a mirror which makes them in like the same vein as like ancient Greek mythology, like with like Medusa and stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really cool because the book is very much like a hard sci-fi, high, like high fantasy setting. Um, so to like bring in sort of an ancient uh, or classic like method to defeating a monster like this is awesome. And there's like, oh man, there's, there's so much crazy stuff that happens in the book. There's these people that, like sacrifice their bodies to the government to be completely distorted. So they what they do is they turn their heads 180 degrees on their body and then outfit them with mirrors on their shoulders so that they can safely face the slake moth while looking out looking uh, directly at it. Um, it's amazing. It was absolutely terrifying reading it because like nobody could survive it. Everyone who faced off of it died. Um, and only a few people ever made it out and it was always by luck. It was, um, an absolutely terrifying thing. And the ending of the book is devastating. Um, 
So yeah, I, I that's probably my favorite monster. Uh, if you're gonna press me, oh my. Uh, what is your favorite? That's a good answer. Holy crap! That's much more like what people are like. Oh, I like uh, the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon because he's sexy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I mean, when you expand into all fiction, I mean, I gotta go as far as I can. Obviously. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's entirely fair. Uh, what is your favorite Halloween candy? Favorite Halloween candy. Okay, so. Chocolate. I love chocolate. I have a weakness for chocolate. I used to be a big like sour guy. Like I used to eat sour Skittles and stuff and like those warheads and things. And then I had a really bad experience with a something called a nerd's pitcher, which is something you buy at a bar where they give you a big old um, pitcher full of alcohol and there's like literally just sugar in it. And I had the worst hangover of my whole life after I finished one of those. And ever since then, I cannot eat like sweet stuff anymore. It like totally broke me. But when I was so I, like my favorite Halloween candy is probably like Twix or Crunch. But when I was growing up, my favorite was definitely bottle caps. I never saw them any other time of year. I only ever saw them at Halloween, and they were always like a special, you know, chef's kiss like treat. Um, I was a big fan of those. Uh, what about you? Ooh, for me. Um... I feel like for Halloween candy, I want something that you can only get on Halloween. So like, yeah, I do like a big pixie stick, but also I've never as a kid even like what I eat most of them. Um, <laughs> no, I think that razor blades taste pretty good. Um, I loved when I got all all those really expensive edibles as a kid. Uh <laughs> No, probably like yeah, a, like, yeah, like weird a candy fruit bar. that has like some sort of like you know deadly thing inside of it is definitely my favorite. You know, home baked with um, little sharp like needles. You know, strawberries with needles in them. Uh, good. Yeah, that's that seems real complicated. <laughs> How dumb are these kids? Like, oh, uh, I um, I like oh man, that's actually like a terrifying story I heard about. I think it was in Australia. Somebody was just going to supermarkets and putting needles into strawberries. Like, oh, yes. Just imagine that for a second, right? Like, you go, you buy a strawberry, you're like, oh, this strawberry looks neat, good. You know, you buy a bunch of them, you go home, you wash them, right? You cut, you, you don't cut it up, you just take a bite into it. And there's a freaking needle going through your roof of your mouth that somebody just stuck in there because they thought it'd be funny. It was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty uh, horrifying event. <laughs> No, yeah, that's a bit. Um, I've never had that kind of issue. <laughs> Me either, thankfully. Yeah, the other side of the world. <laughs> that's a bit. Oh uh, wow. Uh, but no. Um, for me though, um, I, I guess I have to pick like a weird candy bar, like a Zagnut or something, or Almond Joy that like I never had Zag- otherwise. Almond Joy. Uh, nah. <laughs> Not a fan, personally. Do you have a like favorite like Halloween costume that you've worn or no? I um I was a big fan of the zombie. I I was a like zombie runner a couple of years in a row. Um like what I did was I like like tore up my shirt and like I put like gray makeup all over my body and then I, I tried to like simulate like tire tracks or something over my shirt and it's like tried to seem like I was hit by a car or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, that seemed like a, that was, that was fun. I, I did that a couple of years and actually on Halloween I went running on campus 
and um one of my friend with one of my friends and out in front of the student union when people were changing classes i was he was like screaming and i was chasing him uh just to kind of make a scene <laughs> uh that was that was fun that was a, a good uh halloween moment for sure i did like a uh when luke cage came out like that was something that like i did like a yeah i bought like a like sweatshirt just fucked it up <laughs> that's good <laughs> yeah like bullet wounds and all that um i did go as like a hanged man one time oh wow to like a like club and okay. then like i'd like had somebody who like didn't understand because like on my chest i had like taped on like a like uh notebook so people could play hangman but also like <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i had the noose on and right. like i was dancing with this person and they were like oh what's your costume i was like oh although like i like jumped up on a chair held it taut then jumped down <laughs> it's pretty clear <laughs> yeah and they <laughs> And then, like, um, they're horrified. <laughs> they're just deeply, oh no, <laughs> you're gonna die. And, oh, it's just say, my hand, you know, like, yeah. just kidding. <laughs> and some say I'm still dead to this day. Wow, dead inside. <laughs> Are we always? <laughs> yes. Uh, but speaking of being dead on the inside now, uh, mm. let's talk about what we came here to talk about. Uh, the, uh, Return of the Living Dead. All right. Uh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, so the basic plot line here is that there is a medical supply warehouse and there is a new employee like Freddie being taught there. And at the same time, there is a um, group of Freddie's friends who are going to pick him up and like trying to figure out like what they're doing. They're and like punks. You know, yeah, yes. Yeah. They got like a lot of jewelry, you know, crazy hair, kind of like dark, baggy clothes. Um, you know, classic punk like punk look. And like they're old school pugs, like they don't have they haven't been sanitized like in a way where like <laughs> a lot of right. punks are nowadays where it's like, oh, I'm a punk and I have green hair and a mohawk, but like no, nothing it's not else. like it's not like even goth, really. It's really like yeah. closer to punk, I think. And this opening, like, first section of the movie, I guess, like, the like, cold open, um, it's very strange, because, like, they're talking about, like, oh, we have, like, half a dogs for schools, we have, like, a bunch of, like, skeletons from India, and, like, only you can get skeletons there, and they all have perfect teeth. So they must have, like, some kind of, like, skeleton farm, which is very... <laughs> very it's a, dark. It's interesting. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, like, you know, kind of playing with this like what they're doing is establishing that Frank and Bert, who are like the employees at the medical supply warehouse, are sort of desensitized to all of this, you know, like kind of morbid stuff. And Freddie, who's like, it's his first day, and he's like, he's one of the punks, but he seems like, you know, he doesn't seem like a bad kid at all. He's sort of like, uh, the, the, his uncle, I think, is, is Frank, is, is trying to like impress him and like kind of spook him a little bit, you know? Um, be like, oh, look at all of our cool stuff we got here. And it, I mean, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, <laughs> split dogs. I mean, where else are you going to see one of those? Yeah, no. Um, and like, I think too, like, it shows something that is missing sometimes from a lot of modern horror movies. And that, like, 
having just um we just watched like American Werewolf in London, and that's a funny movie. Like that's a very comedic movie, you know? Like that is a lot about like mixing up everything about th- that whole like genre, you know? Yeah. And um horror movies seem to be so serious, but like this is very much like a comedy, you know? Yes, it is. And this is something I've encountered more and more often in the, like more modern like horror movies is the mix between horror and comedy. And honestly, I've really come to believe that horror and comedy go together like peanut butter and jelly. Like they they actually share a lot of similar elements. And the thing yeah, that, sorry about that really um sells it for me is both rely on the unexpected, right? Um, mm-hmm. They take something that's ordinary, they kind of twist it, and then they either make it funny or kind of scary. And like, there's a lot of instances where something that is funny could easily be twisted into something scary or something that's scary can easily be twisted into something funny. And I think those two genres really do mesh together in a beautiful way. And I've seen it done um, beautifully in, in like a lot of different examples. Um, my favorite yeah. example of this is John Dies at the End, the book by David Wong, um, which is a horror book, which has a lot of comedic elements to it. Um, and I remember reading it and thinking, this is really scary right now. But I remember if I read this book immediately again, I'm going to laugh at this part later. Um, it's just that kind of humor. Like Shaun of the Dead is a perfect example. That movie yeah. has really terrifying and like emotional beats to it, but it's also a comedy first. And it like and it works so well because it has that kind of charm to it. I think this movie falls into that same category. Um something that makes this movie like makes the characters compelling and something that makes them more real is the fact that they aren't melodramatic or super serious. You know, they they tell yeah. jokes. They they act kind of non-serious, which is how people act. People are kind of, you know, they kind of act weird. And, you know, when weird circumstances show up, they uh, they um, can react in unpredictable ways, which can be funny. So I think that um, I, 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 I think I'm coming to around to this idea that these two, the comedy and horror should be mixed together more. And and when they are mixed together, it gives it, it gives the story a deeper beat to it. It gives it something to you, you, the the viewer, something more to latch onto. And also, I think that um, there's something to be said for like uh, the two genres that most are like associated with like depictions of, of like sex and like um, se- and like sexuality are like comedy and horror too. Yeah, like, it's I think, a good like, point. Like not to like give too much like Freud but like the idea that we have like the drive to die or like a like connection just like in our very like nerves to death and also to life and also like these kind of seem like the three like strongest points of like life is oh that you could die oh that you could procreate oh that you could laugh like they're kind of like Mm -hmm the three primary things. I think that there's something um, very um, much lost when you approach horror as just straight horror. Cause like you ha- either have to really deliver 
or you like end up with this like just like total anticlimactic thing you know yes and i think that something that's such a thin line to ride and it can be really difficult right if you are making a super serious horror movie but you're not able to execute on the effects or your acting is you know your actors are are too hammy or over the top or something it just becomes ridiculous right and then you're no longer you're kind of at odds with the story um, you're like, okay, well, this isn't scary. This is just ridiculous, you know? But then at the other hand, if you're not serious enough and you're like, and nothing, you know, nothing matters, and you're like, oh, this is just like those horror movies or something, you know, very self-referential, then you as the audience are never brought in. You know, you're never, you never like have a reason to care. So you're just always at a distance. But I think something that this movie does really well and other movies like it that blend uh, horror and movie or horror and uh, comedy together is um, that the, like, the characters in the story are terrified and they are playing mm-hmm. it exactly straight. You know, they are taking the situation seriously, which allows you, the audience, to make that same jump, but also like the way that they are acting and the things that they say are also like silly and funny, which makes yeah. you feel connected to them, but also allows you to kind of step back and be like, okay, you know, this is still a movie, and it's still like, um, there's a lot of things that are going to happen here that are going to be scary. But you know, I'm along for the ride. I'm like, I'm I'm invested you in the get characters numb to the yeah. same thing again and again, and you yes. also get numb to like just one way of knowing somebody. If you only know like, there's been a ton of horror movies that are like, there's this uh, teen or two who thinks they're haunted, and school goes real bad. And they have a like scare in the shower or some of their hair falls out and then their whole family dies because of ghosts. Like, right. You know, like that's like how many movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you have to change it up. And that's the other thing that really surprised me, I think, about this movie is that the zombie genre, like in 2021, is really like overridden. Like we have yes. seen everything, right? And this movie is still diff- very different and like challenging the zombie genre when the zombie genre is still being established. You know, uh, George Romero hadn't finished all of his zombie movies. The, you know, this came out the same year as Day of the Dead. So, like, he, they're taking this trope that's still being developed and adding new things to it, making it different, making it its own thing, um, and really challenging this cliche and a in what turns out to be a really impactful way but i don't think that this movie gets the credit it deserves um for not not necessarily advancing the like the zombie genre but for challenging the zombie genre yes and trying to make that some into something bigger and more terrifying and more interesting um, this movie spends a lot of time on zombie lore. They actually interview a zombie in the movie and ask it why it's a zombie, you know, which is hilarious. And also, like, not something you ever get in zombie movies. Zombie movies are always very simple. They're dead. They came back to life. They're going to eat you. You know, it's us versus them. You never get, you never yeah. have a reason why the zombies are doing what they're doing. They're just doing it, you know? So, like, this is, this is trying to do something more with that. And I'm honestly surprised we don't see more of that. Because the genre is so, so very deeply 
homogenized this point. I mean, it's almost like it's been killed and then reborn over and over again. But like, <laughs> you might say you destroy the head in every movie and it works. This is the only yes. time where it doesn't work. Like they're always uh, unless you're like rage zombies like talking about the war on terror like 28 days later 20 yeah, that, weeks yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. Um it's like they're shambling slowly and like I think it's very much like well no, like you can like challenge what the genre is. Like at a certain point, we have to like step back and be like, oh, we have to be very serious and grounded and work within the logic people understand about these reanimated people who like to eat living people. <laughs> I, I, I reject that so, like, so hard. Yeah. You know? I think that so people, people rise to the occasion. Like, audiences will, if you challenge the audiences in the right way, they will. Uh, try to understand what you're doing right in a movie like this it's really not that complicated it's very sim- it's like a very simple story um and yet it's trying to do a lot with this idea that's kind of still new i think that it's not hard to grasp at all and i think that if you uh, like allow for the idea that maybe some people might get, not get it but people who do get it will get something out of it um, you can expand what you can do to much greater lengths. You know, I think the zombie as a monster is very versatile too. You know, it can represent a lot of different things. So, um, that's like that's another thing that I think this movie does well is just kind of expand that. And so, like, okay, well, what else can we do with this idea? What else can we tie in here? And um, I wish that in the more metaphorical zombie movies that we we get that they used some of these tropes um, or, or made their own and, and made that into something. Um, uh, <laughs> what is know, that there? Right. Yeah. Right. No, you're right. Uh, Cause like so much of this movie too is like, I couldn't help but think it's looking at punk rock. It's looking at what is a current like scene of people rejecting normal lives as like a cool juxtaposition of people who are rejecting being dead you know <laughs> that's true yeah definitely and like the whole genre comes about because copyrights weren't properly taken in the original <laughs> night of living dead and i think there's something about having all these punk bands having all these like punk designs and like have it be like set during the fourth of july and like ending the way it does and like there's like a very like brilliant like satire there and also like commentary too like okay like the punks aren't just here to fulfill like a caricature they're also like let's show how people are living in these weird ways that don't work you know (laughs) i think so too something that's like that this movie isn't is it's not really a morality play you know a lot of horror movies fall into this like category of like you know, the pure virgin will survive to the end and all the, you know, deviants are going to be killed by this force of nature. Um, and this movie doesn't really have that. None of the characters are really stereotypes of any sort of person, right? They're all kind of unique people. You know, they're, you can, I think you can make the argument that they're, they're kind of flat, but they're still like not, they're not trying to make a statement about like when when uh, the leader suicide dies, right? Mm. He gets the tar man bites into his skull. That's not a commentary on like whether there should be leaders or not. You know, it's just that he was the strongest and biggest, and he was the first one down there, 
and um, he was killed. And really what that says is anyone in this movie could die. It doesn't say anything about like, you know, hierarchies or, um, you know, the role of a leader in a group or like bravado or hubris or anything. It's really just saying, hey, like you thought this guy might survive and he definitely didn't. And too, I think that um, it's very much like presenting these characters. We get very little of them besides their outfits. Like they act like their clothes <laughs> in a very fun way, too. Yes, and I totally agree. Like um, have names like Spider, Tita and Scuzz and like just trash, trash. Yeah. <laughs> but they still like meet the same fates and like in the end, and, like even in ways like where it plays into parts of the genre like how it's like oh like if you look at like horror movies that treat like black guys good it's zombie movies but they also always die too yeah well the spider's the only uh black character in the story and he survives to the end um which like yeah he deserves it more than the other guys he seems more spry and willing to do like the smart thing than some of the other characters no he's very smart yeah, uh, I was impressed with him. At least one important thing we should mention, which is the mm-hmm. two, four, five, uh, tri, uh, what's it? Trioxin, I think it's called. Trioxin, yeah. Yeah, trioxin, which is this chemical. So, okay, Frank and Freddie are sitting in the office, and Frank tells Freddie that um, this whole they, story, the way they talk about the whole government is great. Yes. Oh, that's really good. That's my, probably my favorite part. Um, the. Uh, um, probably my favorite set of a payoff too. They they say like, okay, Night of the Living Dead was based on a real story, and the the zombies from that story are actually in the basement of the medical supply uh, center. So they go into the basement to look at them, and they're oh, they're like open up the canisters and looking at the zombies inside the tanks, and they're like you know like kind of petrified. And the um, Frank says. Yeah, you know, like these uh, these canisters are great. You know, they were built by the core, like the what's it, the Army Corps or something. And he slaps the Army it Corps then, of Engineers. Yeah, that's right. He slaps it, and then it bursts open, and like they sprays this toxin into Freddie and Frank's face, and then it knocks them straight out. Um, when they wake up, like there's the zombies no longer in the tank, and um, they're like feeling really sick. So they call um, Bert, and it turns out like the dog, the the split dogs in the um, Medical uh, supply and the butterflies. Warehouse. It looks great. Butterflies, yes, the butterflies is awesome. That was just over someone's breath. Did you know that they like put paper on a thing? Oh, and then someone just blew on it <laughs> from off off camera, and that's that made it flirt. Yeah. Um, and then the, there's a cadaver in the um, freezer that is banging on the door, trying to get let them like try to get them to let it out. So they're they're freaking out they call the owner bert bert shows up and he's like okay well we got to kill this thing so they open up the uh freezer the cadaver goes straight for bert they wrestle it away and they wrestle to the ground and bert tries to hit it with a pickaxe in the brain and he hits it right in the brain and the thing is still squirming so they're like okay well maybe we can cut off the head so they try to cut off the head that doesn't work either this thing's still moving around and floundering and everything um and so they have to cut it into pieces to stop it from getting them. So, and then, uh, of course, Bert is friends with the guy uh, at the mortuary named Ernie. So they take the whole, they take the cadaver over to Ernie and he, they burn it up in the crematorium. Um, but this releases First the they gas say it's like into the weasels. air. 
what, what do you say? Oh yeah, they first they tell him it's weasels, and then he says, and it, all of Ernie's lines are amazing. He's like, why, like, I, like you're not, you can't burn up live animals. That's cruel. At least maybe let me take them out to the parking lot and shoot them. <laughs> and they're like, no, actually, it's not weasels, Ernie. And so uh, they show him that one of the arms, and the arm grabs his leg, and um, he freaks out, obviously, because it's pretty freaky. They burn it up in the uh, in the crematorium. And then the but the gas or, or the toxin that was in the body gets released into the air, and then a rainstorm happens, and it's like acid rain. Um, and all the punks are partying in the graveyard next door, of course, the resurrection graveyard, uh, appropriately named. Um, and uh, they start their skin starts to burn from the acid rain. They're they're freaking out, and uh, then the dead start to rise from the graveyard, and. Um, the rest is uh, basically zombies, zombies, zombies. They go out. The zombies are out there trying to get them. They're uh, trying to get into the crematorium. They board up the windows. Uh, the zombies are calling for brains. Um, and they actually can talk. They actually, <laughs> there's a couple of paramedics show up to invest, to uh, investigate how Frank and Freddie are doing because they are looking really bad. I was so impressed with, um, what's his name? Uh, um. Uh, shoot, hold on. I have written down um, Tom Matthews, who plays Freddy. Like his, he was so good, looking terrified and sick. Um, I know the makeup did a lot for that too, but just like he looked like he was about to die, and he looked like he was terrified to die. It was disturbing. It's very was, important here, though. Yeah, uh, that um, Bert is such a scumball this whole time. <laughs> Yeah, There's they're like, let's call test. the army. Let's call the police. Yeah. He's like, no, no. No, my business. <laughs> my business, though. And they even, um, Frank is that same way. He's like, oh, like, that'll hurt the business. Like, let's call Bert. And then Bert is only like, when it reaches a scale where he's like, oh, it's not going to hurt my business. It's not my fault. Like, he's fine with yeah. it. Or like his life's on the line of But like, <laughs> the way, like, the eye test in his office says Bert is a slave driver versus like a normal thing. It's like Big B, medium, like URT. No way. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Oh, man. Yeah, Frank was so like scared to even call Bert. He didn't even want to call him to let him know that there was a cadaver running around like the, their freezer, um, which is, you know, crazy. I mean, just the idea that like, oh my gosh, like how is this going to, affect me you know like oh man we released this crazy this crazy thing started to happen we got to keep it under wraps just like otherwise we're gonna get in trouble we're gonna get in big trouble <laughs> and this whole movie is about like um it's about how people are very selfish like um it's like it starts at like um oh my pork chops i've already had pork chops for lunch <laughs> yes and then it goes to oh i'm not gonna wait two hours let's go break into the cemetery it's like oh I'm not going to not bang on this thing. Like every, every way up, it's like at every level, like it, it's talking about like people. It's talking about like business. It's talking about like the government. It's very much like, Hey, like you can't just be so <laughs> self-centered. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a good lesson to take away from it. I think that uh, almost everyone is like out for their own self-interest, right? Until like the shit really hits the fan. And then in that case, they're like, okay, I'm like, I need to step back and like, think about how we can all get out of here. But even then it's, uh, it's not really clear that, um, 
anyone's really <laughs> doing anything for anyone other than themselves, right? They're like, okay, well, how is this going to affect me? You know, well, let's just yeah. throw my, you know, my coworker and his nephew into another room and board and lock the door, uh, uh, you know, while they're clearly dying. Um, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna be good for me, which turns out to be a smart move, but it's also pretty cold uh, <laughs> to, to treat someone like that. How about room temperature? Room temperature. That's right. That's right. Uh, no, um, I love that scene in like some movies, like where they do something like, "Hey, can I borrow like your stethoscope or that kind of thing?" That's great. Like whenever there's like a scene like that in the movie, like where somebody's like, "Huh, my thing's not working," and then like it like pays off of like some very obvious to us, but not to them. Like reveal, it's very good. Oh yeah, no, like the way that they discover that they're dead like the paramedics show up and they're like they're just slowly getting more and more freaked out you know they're like okay you know step away what happened to you guys what kind of poison did you take you know pretty normal questions and then they start taking their vitals and they're like hold on no blood pressure you have no blood pressure you have no pulse how are you alive right now and he's like i'm not saying you're dead dead people don't move around or talk so like what's going on here um and they're like, okay, well, we'll take them to the hospital. And that's when the zombies get them, of course. So then they're, but it's just, it's crazy. Like, I think watching people act in a way that's reasonable. You know, I think yes. that they're, they're like, okay, we've got the zombie here. Let's kill the brain. That makes sense. Right. We've seen that work in other movies. They try it, that. It yes. doesn't work. Okay. What about the head? We can cut the head off. Like cut the head off. Doesn't work either. The next, the next best thing is cut into pieces. And then the next best thing is to burn it, obviously, you know, and all of those things seem pretty logical. Ernie's whole like, like line of logic when they won't tell him that there's a cadaver <laughs> that's alive in the bo- in the bags also makes sense. He's like weasels, like rabid weasels. He's like confused, like, and you decided that burning them is the best move. Like you can't take him to a pet shelter. You know, he, he goes down the line, you know, he, he acts very reasonably. I think that yeah. that really, um goes a long way in selling the terrifying nature of a of a monster or of a circumstance because the more reasonable your characters act the more you can relate to them and then the more terrifying the monster is when they ultimately succumb to it right it was like oh they did everything that i could think of they did everything right and yet they still lost isn't that scary because otherwise you always have that caveat mm-hmm. of like oh you know, this I, this, obviously yeah. I won't go into the bathroom by myself. Obviously I won't go out into the woods by myself. Right. That's a terrible idea. Um, and, and you lose yeah. track of that character uh, when they make decisions that you can't relate with. It's important too. I think that um, this movie um, gives the zombies a motivation to go for a personality in that. Oh, it hurts to be dead. Therefore the only thing that helps is like eating brains. Like it's almost like a, not like nothing personal you know it's <laughs> no, like it's oh almost, we just need it's this it's almost sympathetic if you know if i didn't have a brain and needed it <laughs> and that mirrors like the whole plot of the movie though as far as like oh at every step people are doing things in self-interest in order to keep themselves out of greater trouble like and like mm. it, it's like oh like um the acid raid like that's very much like a, a a like point on actual acid ray, which is let's just try and burn away our problems. And then that comes back to hit us. And then 
that's what happens here. And then like at the end of this movie, the people who like are surviving and doing well are those who have um, cared for others. Like at every point where somebody's tried to like to take care of themselves first, they've gotten fucked over, made things worse and like been killed or like gotten other people killed. And then at the very end, it's like, oh, wow, there's a couple people that have thought for others, but also it's going to get on the scale of the government now. They're like, oh, let's just fuck these people over and like nuke it. And even yes. that at the end is not enough. No, obviously. No, I think that's interesting because normally you can take something away from, OK, well, these people survived, right? They were you know, less selfish. They were smarter or stronger or, or whatever, right? But nobody survives. They they actually nuke Kentucky, which makes like the beginning stinger where they say this is based on a true story with real people and like real events and stuff even funnier because it's like obviously I mean, yeah <laughs> they didn't nuke Kentucky, but like uh, um, it's just uh, it's just hilarious that they're like yeah this is true obviously remember the time like Kentucky was nuked because of the zombies makes sense. I mean, remember the AIDS that like <laughs> yeah. When AIDS happened in America, remember Hiroshima Nagasaki, remember any of the various crimes of war, like governance. Uh, just like, yeah, this is based on something that happened. Not exactly, but you know. No, they changed all the facts around, but <laughs> it's still the same story. Same impulse. No. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's funny. And I love that, like, they, I think early in the movie, Frank says something like, you know, typical military fuck up. Um, and, and in the end, it's the, it's a typical military fuck up, right? All right. You know, we did it guys. We solved the problem. We shot the missile. It destroyed Kentucky. Less than 4,000 people died. 20 square blocks. We're good. And of course they play the, you know, they play the sequence again. The zombies are coming right back, man. Uh, none of our characters yeah. are coming back, but they are all, uh, all the zombies are, have not stopped in their tracks. The same way that this is not interested, like, in other zombie movies be like oh wow they made shivs that or like found axes or like shot guns and got the headshot and won it's also not satisfied with like the government version of that which is like a like tactical nuke it's like no there is no headshot for this like on like the like personal or the like massive like sociological level either right. you know Yes, exactly. It, like it would have to be something more careful or something. You can imagine a situation in which they are able to detain these guys, you know, where they're able to quarantine the area perhaps and keep that keep the thing from spreading. Um, but I mean the fact that it's airborne is pretty terrifying. But you can imagine that these, you know, zombies are um like they are it's possible to stop them in some way. But um, the methods that they take in this are never enough. You know, it's always half measures. Like they, yes. they go through the normal protocols, right? Like they first send in the paramedics, then some more paramedics show up because the zombies call them, which I think is so funny. More paramedics. Send more, more, more paramedics. Please. Then the police show up and they get overwhelmed. Then a bunch of police show up and they get overwhelmed and they set up a perimeter and then they just charge the perimeter. Um, it just gets worse and worse. And they, the people... Like, don't seem to learn. The only people that seem to understand the situation are stuck inside, and they are basically helpless. So it's um, it's just funny that, like, we never get to the point where we're ever going to solve this problem because we just keep making them stronger incrementally. You know, it's like, why not just use the nuclear option right away? But then the nuclear option is also not enough because it wasn't 
you know, it wasn't specific enough and it helped just spread the problem around instead of um, actually like going in there and being yeah. careful. Yeah, and it's, I think, it's um, fine. Yeah, it's like a really like a cool way it like spreads out to the whole movie. But like um, the last thing I really want to like uh, get super deep on is um, how much this movie is just full of great effects. Like oh, yeah. everything, just like having like the simple practical effects of like blowing on paper to like puppeteering to having some noises as they're beating what is clearly like a plastic like half dog. Like it works <laughs> so well. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of good stuff in here. I was trying to find who was the like effects supervisor or who like did it on this movie. I believe it was um, the man who was named Howard uh, William Stout. Um, and he was the production designer for this movie. And so he was overseeing a lot of the effects and everything. Um, I heard a bunch of different stories about things that happened on set. I heard that it was originally a different person in charge of the effects. And then they, they like had to redo them. But some of the old effects like got, were still like in the movie, but they weren't quite as clear. Um, but there's a bunch of them that stand out to me i think like the the split dogs is a favorite for me because it's very unique um and then the skeleton that they tie down to the table and interrogate is a really memorable one um cause she's like half of a body and she's got like a spine that sort of twitches mm-hmm. and her like mouth gapes and stuff and she's like moving her hand she's very dynamic um but also like not really a thing at all she's like basically just bones and like some shriveled skin. Um, There's yeah. a point where they have somebody um, who is an actual amputee, like get up and move around. Also, like I love too how they, it's, it kind of seems like they told this person, oh, move as fast as you can, not as fast as people think you could move because they fucking booked it. Oh, Holy yeah. shit. No, they were, <laughs> they were fast. And that was another thing that was, was satisfying, right? It was like, these zombies are going all out. You know, they aren't shambling around. You know, they're using tools. They're talking. They're organizing. And they're going as hard as they can into whatever you put in front of them. You know, they're not just content to just stand there and sort of, you know, slowly uh, kind of wave their arms and hope that you run into them. You know, they're, they're actually uh, hoping to, to catch you off guard. Yeah, no, um, I love this kind of zombie. Like... I think uh, there should be more <laughs> smart zombies in like fiction. <laughs> oh, it's scarier for sure. I mean, that's the thing that makes it um, really great. Um, I, the one, the the thing that makes it the, the most iconic scene in this movie, and probably the most iconic effect, is the Tar Man, um, mm-hmm. who I'm trying to find the the name of the guy who um, here it is, Alan uh, Trotman. Is he's like the actor and puppeteer for this this monster. He's the zombie that was Henson, in the right? canister. Sorry, he's from Henson, right? I am not sure. Let me click I on will his check thing. him out. Yeah, um, yes, the Jim Henson Company. That's that's correct. Um, he is yeah. So he, he this, the Tar Man is like this zombie that's in the canister, and then he comes out and he's like his skin is like wet, but like he doesn't really have any skin. He's covered in like these dark rags. And he's like, brains, more brains. And he's uh, like, his eyes are popping out of his skull. And he like sort of just kind of 
like he sort of moves like he's a puppet kind of he's like sort of got this fluid just kind of like dancing mm-hmm. motion almost to him where his shoulders are rolling um it's uh it's pretty scary and it's also it's not trying to funny. look realistic too like <laughs> no I it looks amazing and um when they knock his head off so cleanly it's so funny but yeah it's a Oh man, it's such a good and classic effect. And I remember reading a couple of uh, articles about this movie and they said that what they were trying to do with the script was actually have not just principal actors, but principal monsters, principal zombies. In the other in other zombie movies that's come before, the George Romero Romero movies, their zombies are just the same for everybody, right? There there's always zombies out there and they're just kind of random people. But in this movie, there are some specific zombies that stand out from the crowd. Um, you know, there's the one that they lay on the table that's like basically just a mm-hmm. skeleton. The Tar Man. Tar Man's a great one. Trash, after she Trash. becomes um, a zombie, she's like all like kind of, her skin's like blue and she's still naked and has her red hair and she's, you know, running around eating people. Um, yeah. It, anime rules. If you become a monster and you're hot, you're hot. That's right. You're a hot monster. Easy. <laughs> not yes, to, so, to not to judge people that like really love the tar man situation. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Right. We weren't you know excluding those people. Um, it's just uh, um, it makes the whole thing uh much more colorful and much more memorable when you have you know monsters that are as unique as your characters. I did love how there was only one musical scene in the whole movie, and it was like her like nude scene but also like um i there has to be like a special like wiki or like blog site just for like movies that people bought back in the day before internet (laughs) to masturbate to oh my gosh i i know there is i absolutely know there is what's it called it's like called skin skin flicks or something like that Uh, no like that's like that kind of stuff nowadays is like here's all the nudity movies which like doesn't matter but like back in the day like there was like oh get get under siege Yes, for this. Get um, Natural Instinct. Yeah, for this movie. Um, no, I think uh, I think that's definitely true. No, it's, that's what I've heard too, is from people that like watched this when they were um, younger or whatever, right? Like it, it slowly evolved over time why they were interested in this movie. Um, like, this movie yeah. is like a cult hit though. Like this wasn't the best received coming out. People love it consistently and like it's like just really entered like got like four sequels which is wild to think of including two that came out (laughs) in 2005 and i think any horror movie that came out in 2005 except for maybe there's two of them that were good are bad (laughs) yes no no there was a there was definitely a dearth in horror movies where like there was nothing good coming out and then it's kind of had just a bit of a bit of a resurgence from this thing you know we've kind of re-examined what makes horror good but there's still a ton of just really bad ones. And 2005 was probably like the worst of it. Uh, it was right in that time. Yeah, though, I can't believe this movie has four sequels either. It, I mean, this movie did better than Day of the Dead did in the box office. Um, and but it's and it's it's definitely had a impact on the cultural landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Fast zombies are rare, but they do show up in other movies. The, the, the idea that zombies want to eat brains comes from this movie. Um, and I think like the tar man and like the skeletons <laughs> and stuff, I think those like had an influence on stuff like evil dead. Um, I think that makes it like, yeah, uh, very much, um, part of the lexicon for sure. And, and part of the, 
um, in I'm general, looking at this list. Yeah, zombie uh, lore. Um, but it, I don't think it, like, it's, I don't think it gets a lot of attention nowadays. It's definitely, yeah, it falls into the cult hit category. But it's not something that like people think of necessarily. I think the Romero films really stand out as like classic zombie movies, and this one is very different, but also mm-hmm. like does such a good job of expanding everything and and does such a good job of just being a really entertaining movie. So I'm looking at a list of uh, 2005 horror movies. Okay. It's it's dire. Give me it's, uh, give me some highlights. Some highlights. Uh, I'm in like the bees, and I have many highlights. There's there's um Blood Rain by Uwe Boll. Oh there's my god! Call of Cthulhu movie. I don't remember. There's Cry Wolf. If you ever saw that movie? No, I've heard of that one though. Um, there is um the Exorcism of Emily Rose. There's Doom. Doom. There's I saw Doom. The Ginger oh, Dead gosh. Man. There's Hellraiser Hellworld. House oh, of Wax. <laughs> um, oh, this is Land of the Dead. Man Thing. Mangler Reborn, the sequel to The Mangler. Okay. Meatball Machine, which I, I don't know what that's about. Um, One Miss Call 2. Uh, <laughs> Return of the Living Dead, Necropolis, and Rave to the Grave. Rave to the Grave. Saw 2. <laughs> Oh wow, this is bad. Uh there is that that's not right. Uh yeah, there's a lot of bad horror movies from this. <laughs> yes. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. But no, uh that was a hell of a movie though, and I do love me a good zombie. And um I yeah, this what a thing. <laughs> what an artifact. Oh, what a definitely. pure thing. It was no, I think this the thing this movie does better. Like the thing I really appreciate this movie is that it just tries to be entertaining. There was a mm-hmm. point where I like I paused it and I was like reflecting on like what was happening and I was just thinking to myself like, "Wow, this what a is, wonderful world!" Yes, this is awesome. I'm having a great time watching this. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I was like I think the story does such is such a so, so well paced. It starts off really slow. Like you have no idea where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. They think you think maybe it's just going to be the one zombie at, at some point, but then it just builds some momentum until it's just like bursting at the seams at the end and everything's happening at once. Um, it just goes crazier and crazier. And the ending where everyone gets nuked is so appropriate and such like a good like payoff to like the um, in uh, oh, what's the like that was the word. Um, um, the the problems with the military or like mm-hmm. the uh yeah the ineffectiveness of the military um and just having everyone just get blown up is amazing what like what an incredible ending to um a really wild movie yeah and like it's like just also like i don't know if it's a movie about like failure it definitely seemed like to me like it was a movie about like being selfish and failing and yeah like taking half measures like just just like through and through but also like did like even like whether or not it was about that, how it paralleled like the original Night of the Living Dead. Let's have this like competent like dude take charge of things and handle stuff and then get killed by the authorities <laughs> like Spider and like it's like, oh, like, yeah, even like um has like that whole like echo to just on like a like wider scale. It's just like, oh, like uh. <laughs> Yeah, this is just a movie that is very light on its feet in a way where it's like it 
almost feels like they were surprised it got made. <laughs> they were like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, let's just keep going and uh, see how far we can go. <laughs> no, I, I, I heard a lot of stories about how um, Dan o- O'Bannon uh, was kind of an insane person. Um, I, I hear, I think it was uh, the woman who plays Tina. Uh, she said that there was one of her favorite moments on set was when someone threw a vase at uh, Dan O'Bannon's head um, because he was being re- like a ridiculous person. He like, oh, apparently when she went over for his, um, for her interview or for her audition, she went over to his house and he just had guns everywhere and pornography on the uh, television set. Um, he also made the, the people in like the cast eat brains and like he, he had, he ate brains too. Like he, um, <laughs> he, he had calf brains, not human brains, like, like cow brains. Yeah. yeah. And he, he said, um, hey everyone, I'll give you a bonus if you actually eat these brains. Um, and he he took a bite himself to prove that he wouldn't ask him to do anything he wasn't willing to do, which sort of just improves that he's more of an insane person, not that he was like, you know, down to earth. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, he's a guy with a weird, a very weird filmography, like Star Wars, Alien, um, Total Recall. And then, yeah. like nothing else of real merit across. He's like, only the rest directed of it. two movies: um, this one, and then uh, I think it was called some Lovecraftian movie called like The Resurrectionist or something like that. The something Resurrected. That's right. That's right. Um, so he's uh, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of directing credits, but he's been influential in the horror genre. Um, I mean, he wrote Aliens, or at least wrote the first initial screenplay, and then I think it was adapted from there. Um, and he, I mean, he built this one from the ground up. They basically, the story I heard is that they, they, uh, they, they, uh, used the name, uh, night of the living dead or, or, or return of the living dead. And they bought that from mm-hmm. John R- Russo. Uh, yeah. Cause he could use the living dead, Russo. but not night of the dead or something like right, that. Right. Or some kind uh, of, uh, Romero could make the sequels, but R- uh, Russo had the right to the name living dead. So they bought that from him and they brought a script with it and then they just destroyed the script and rewrote the whole thing. Um, and that was Perfect. something that um, O'Bannon wanted to do. So it really was his vision from the beginning, I think. And it's kind of, it's nice having like a, uh, it's always nice having like a writer director, um, like, you know, Me, yeah, like have his vision come to fruition, especially when it's as wild as, as this movie is. Maybe this is like a Lovecraft thing, but maybe it's a Bannon thing. Um, well, one, fuck Lovecraft. And two, uh, the last <laughs> half a sentence of the uh, synopsis for The Resurrected is uh, before the two disappear in a cosmic explosion. There you go. Yes. The solution to every, <laughs> the ending to every Lovecraft story, cosmic, uh, cosmic explosion. Yeah, we'll just do it that way. Seems like a good idea. It's as effective as a nuke to Kentucky. <laughs> as effective as a nuke to Kentucky is like what I'm going to say whenever I'm like helping a kid with chicken pox or something. I don't know. Like what I'd be doing. I don't know. Yeah. Like where this like calamine lotion is as effective as a nuke to Kentucky and Bob's your uncle. And there beat you a dead go. Horse. That's right. Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. Bless his heart. <laughs> but no. Uh, speaking of uh, blessing hearts though. Uh, if people want to get to your burning heart when you're not talking about uh, 
movies on this show. Where can they find you? <laughs> wow. Uh, I am stunned by that transition. Um, I, uh, my podcast is called Affable Chat. I, I co-host it with my good friend, Benjamin. Um, we are on every podcast platform you can think of. Um, so just search Affable Chat. We're the only ones out there. We also have a YouTube channel. We also stream on Twitch every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And um, we also have a TikTok that's popping off and uh, email address affablechat.gmail.com if you want to ask, if you want to complain about me or anything like that. We also have a Twitter and Instagram, all Affable Chat. So just uh, search Affable Chat and you'll find us out there. Um, and yeah, we, we talk about movies. Uh, we, we go into depth and we, uh, we love talking about just culture and uh, anything we can think to get our hands on. So. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you bringing me on. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I don't know how you make a TikTok work. <laughs> yeah, that's TikTok. up to my Benjamin. That's not my Benjamin. My co-host Benjamin. Uh, oh, wow. He uh, he had a viral TikTok uh, a couple of months ago, and now you have like five thousand followers. So um, I'm not sure it. what to do with that, but you know. <laughs> yeah, like there's not a at least like um, my podcast there's not a lot of moments that are like huh here's a good like 15 second loop you know right right but uh no um you could find uh me on twitter.com as james forwards you can find the rest of the co-hosts on their twitters but they aren't here today so fuck them um and then <laughs> uh the podcast is that um at common ride with me and then there's common for our episodes and the articles there's common slash episodes for links to different platforms for each episode to just like get all up in there there is there's copyrightme.com slash merch for our merch with uh all proceeds going to the Trevor project there is copyright for me uh on instagram too uh we have some fun seasonal art going up now uh there's also a podcast at copyrightme.com for your questions and your stuff and if you want to setting questions or suggestions uh we are just starting up some new series um and yeah that is us right there and Perfect. please rate and review but very important very important is uh at the end of each episode we always ask uh who were your standout characters you had to pick like two or three characters from this movie oh that's easy ernie is my favorite character um played by um don carla um He's hilarious. The first thing you see him doing is, you know, dressing a body at the mortuary. And then he immediately pulls a gun on his friend from 25 of 25 years. Like he, he taps someone on his shoulder and he fluidly just pulls out this, <laughs> this gun and points it right in his face. It's incredible. Um, and that, you know, that kind of instinct serves him well throughout the movie. And um, I, uh, I, was, I was very happy to see him survive to the end. Okay. So Ernie. Oh, I, I like Spider as well. Yes, Spider was Spider was not standout for me. Um, I gotta say, Trash. She, I liked seeing her, um, and I liked uh, like <laughs> just how she just like brought the party, you know. And um, uh, I think uh, again, I want to shout out um, what's his name? Uh, Tom Matthews who plays Freddy. Uh, he was he looked terrifying. Uh, as he was dying, and then he became terrifying once he turned and started trying to eat Tina's brains. Um, he was—he uh, really sold everything 
uh, to me. He really like uh, put it all on the line. It was a real commitment to the role that I appreciated. I do to say um, some shout out to Tina for the fact that she's dressed like a good 80s kid and her whole <laughs> yes. crew is not. And it's great. Um, that is funny. And shout out for the like suicide scene for Frank. Just like, okay. Like that was very melodramatic, but also like kind of like worked as a like character beat too. Cause he's like, Oh, well I gotta like stop this. And like, just made that work. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was set up too, right? He said, I could operate that thing. You know, we didn't have to do this or whatever. Um, and he does, he operates it, uh, and then shuts himself inside of the uh, crematorium but without his wedding ring. So that, um, uh, you know, some part of him might go yeah. on. And we talked about how the like standout designs and like effects were like the like tar man and like trash and all that. But um, what I don't want to ask is, uh, what was your standout fit? Like what outfit really got to you in this movie? <laughs> uh, my favorite, my favorite outfit was uh, suicides. Um, when he, that little chain he has that goes from his lip to his ear um uh, was uh you know top notch for me i was i was a fan of that I don't don't see that very much uh probably because it's pretty dangerous <laughs> to have something like that attached to you it looks like a bunch of paper clips <laughs> yeah um i appreciated how trash got naked and he was like i'm cold or whatever just like all that um i really like uh the uh whole outfit that like Ernie had on like his like very yellow headphones, his gun, just everything, just like what you need to leave the house, you know? Yes. I think there was oh my gosh, I saw something in one of the commentaries that said that Dan O'Bannon wanted uh Ernie to have a tan suit and then he couldn't get it for some reason. And he said something like Spielberg would have got a tan suit or something like that. Like <laughs> like somebody, somebody about like you know a more notable director would have got the respect that that they deserve, which means they would have gotten the colored suit, like a jumpsuit that I that they ordered, uh, which is just a funny <laughs> kind of sticking point to be bitter about. I think I think the red worked well. I think it looked good. Yeah, um, I checked. Apparently, um, the actor who played Spider Miguel A. Nunez Jr. is still active. Oh, really? He's still alive. Yeah, um, and I just found out what he's best known for starring as, and it's um, as the lead role, um, Jamal Jeffries in Juana Man. Ah, <laughs> that's a movie. That's a movie. That is a movie. <laughs> that's a movie. Uh, uh, it's something you can say about that movie is that it is a movie. Yeah, duh. But yeah, I guess. Have we learned anything? today well i i like the takeaway you had which is that like selfishness doesn't pay off and like how um all the characters and even the zombies are acting in their own self-interest first um no i uh, that's a great takeaway and i i'm, I'm definitely going to steal that when i'm talking about this movie later <laughs> okay there you go uh you too can meet people and eat their brains and regurgitate that later. <laughs> Just That's good. No. Let's uh. eat, eat brains. <laughs> Let them eat brains. Isn't that the saying? <laughs> <laughs>